We are Anthem Church. Thanks for checking out our podcast. For all the info you need, visit anthemforall.org and follow at Anthem Church Chicago. Psalm 130, if you can turn in your Bibles to Psalm 130. As you're doing that, just to uh, give you another awesome testimony of things that God is doing in our midst. Um, it just seems like week on week, we're just hearing amazing things that God is doing. Uh, Aidan and Eloise Whitaker, you guys know them on staff and on our eldership team, um, are here on a religious worker visa. Quick story, but the religious worker visa allows you to be here for two years, and then you get extended for three. Um, because we have changed venues, the USCIS uh, told us that, ne- that, that they needed to do an on-site visit before they were prepared to extend the Whitaker's visa. We brought them onto the eldership team a couple weeks ago in faith, trusting that that extension of the visa would be passed. Uh, we're in the midst of a building fund where we're sowing and giving, and literally out the blue, we heard last week that their visa has been extended by another three years, which is amazing, amazing news. So praise God. He's doing amazing things, and that's without an on-site visit, which is super, super cool. Um, so the USCIS, the FBI will not be knocking on our door, which is, which is amazing. Um, which actually was the case with us when we had to get our visa. The, uh, the FBI arrived at the school that we were renting from to ask who we were. So that kind of stuff does, does happen. Um, but can you please continue to pray for them? We are now uh, moving to the next stage of their immigration process, which is obviously applying for their green card. Um, and so we've just begun that particular process, which is another kind of two-year ordeal or so. So continue to pray for them. If you think of the Whitakers, uh, just remember to pray for them. Um, Today is a, today's a first. Um, I'm going to be preaching on a subject that I'm a little bit perhaps embarrassed to acknowledge that I've never preached on before in 15 years of leading Anthem Church. And in fact, never preached on before even while I was serving on the eldership team of a church back in South Africa. But when you hear the subject that I'm going to be preaching on today, and you, if you know who I am, you'll know this is perhaps not surprising since I grew up in a home and a culture where it really wasn't encouraged at all to, to kind of share your emotions. Uh, feelings and emotions and, and, and kind of heartfelt issues were, were considered unhelpful and therefore unnecessary. And, and pretty much the, the response that I got to any or every emotional ill that I was dealing with was pretty much a variation of eat a Snickers bar that'll put a smile on your face and let's move forward. Um, so so this, is, uh, this, is, this, is a, this is new ground for me. This is something of, of me um, putting my toe into the, sub- into the river of the subject that I'm going to be preaching on today, and, and realizing that the water is not too cold, and, the, and the, the river is not flowing too fast for me to actually step in. But, but even as I say that, it sounds like that I've approached the subject at my pace and under very controlled environments, that I've taken maybe 15 years to come to this point. I haven't been preparing for 15 years to preach this message. And please don't think that today's message is my magnum opus on the subject that I'm going to be sharing today. That's not the case at all. In fact, what's brought me to be able to feel some degree of confidence to at least share some initial thoughts on the subject was the incredible tragedy that we had to face last year as a family. And many of you know that we navigated a myriad of emotions, both desperate lows of, of realizing that our daughter Hannah very, very much could lose her life from a, a, a brain bleed. But then with that, the, the exhilarating highs of seeing God move miraculously and powerfully. And, and navigating that, those, those emotions, it actually felt like I wasn't putting my toe in the water of the subject that I'm preaching on, but I was actually pushed 
into this ice-cold, fast-flowing river, and I had to learn how to, how to swim. And, uh, and that's kind of, I'm going to be sharing some thoughts that I've learned over the last kind of 18 months or 16 to 18 months on this particular subject. David writes in Psalm 40, um, he says this, I waited patiently for the Lord. He turned to me and he heard my cry. He lifted me out of the slimy pit, out of the mud and mire. He set my feet on a rock and gave me a firm place to stand. That rock, that firm place is, is Jesus, our, our, our unassailable refuge. He put a new song in my mouth, a hymn of praise to our God. Many will see and fear the Lord and put their trust in him. I, I love that, that half sentence that is found in, in verse 1 when, when David says, He turned to me and he heard my cry. He heard God hears our hearts cry, and, and that's the, the series title that we've given to the six-week journey that we are kind of uh, doing through the book of Psalms. What makes, what makes the Psalms so accessible and so relatable? I, I, I think the answer to that question is the fact that the Psalms are, are so human. The Psalms express such raw and real and honest emotion as the people of God are, are relating to God through the circumstances of life. My friend Nigel Day-Lewis says this about the Psalms. He says, they powerfully and transparently reflect and express the whole range of human feeling and experience, from dark depression to exuberant joy, from agonizing wilderness to foolish praise, from wobbly trust to rock-like faith, from assured self-righteousness to abject repentance. They are rooted in historical events, yet their sheer humanity makes them timeless. They are extremely individual reflections, yet universal in their application and appeal. In our age, they are stirred by the, uh, we are stirred by the same emotions, puzzled by the same fundamental problems of existence, have similar needs under similar circumstances, and we cry out to the same God. I love that description of the Psalms, and that's, that's essentially what we are tackling. The Psalms, as Aidan so wonderfully shared last week as he introduced the series, he said the Psalms give us vocabulary, vocabulary, that sounded weird, vocabulary as we approach God. They do. The Psalms, the Psalms give us a, a, a form and words to add to our heart's cry. Our heart's cry of intimacy, as he shared so wonderfully last week from Psalm 27, one thing one thing I ask, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord. A heart's cry for, for thanksgiving, which is what Mark is going to preach on next week from Psalm 126. The Lord has done great things for us, and we are filled with joy. And isn't that the, the truth? I mean, over the last 15 years, the Lord has done great things for us, and we are filled with joy. A heart's cry of praise, which is what Debs is going to tackle out of Psalm 89. I will declare that your love stands firm forever. A heart's cry for deliverance, which again is, is what Aidan is going to preach on in Psalm 16. My help comes from the Lord. And then I'm going to end the series on Easter Sunday when I talk about a heart's cry of victory out of Psalm 24. Who is he, this king of glory, Psalm 24 asks? The Lord Almighty. He is the king of glory. And so we're in for an incredible series. Last week was an amazing start. I trust today is going to add to that momentum. And we're looking forward in, in the weeks to come, some amazing uh, unpacking of God's word from the book of Psalms. But today, what I'm going to be preaching on out of Psalm 130 is a heart cry of sorrow and lament. 
a heart's cry of sorrow and lament from Psalm 130. And let's, let's jump into the text right away and begin to, to see what God's word says about sorrow and lament. David writes, out of the depth I cry to you, Lord. Lord, hear my voice. Let your ears be attentive to my cry for mercy. If you, Lord, kept a record of sins, Lord, who could stand? But with you there is forgiveness so that we can, with reverence, serve you. I wait for the Lord. My whole being waits, and in his word I put my hope. I wait for the Lord more than watchmen wait for the morning, more than watchmen wait for the morning. Israel, put your hope in the Lord, for with the Lord is unfailing love, and with him is full redemption. He himself will redeem Israel from all of their sins. The Psalms of Lament or the Psalms of Sorrow number almost half of the Psalms that are written, almost half of the 150 Psalms that are written. And as I said earlier, they contain some of the the most honest and some of the most raw and some of the most real emotions that are expressed in all of Scripture. Typically, in, in each case, there is some external crisis, some personal attack or, or some slander or, or maybe some national crisis that the people of God are facing, some, some impending invasion or societal oppression or injustice, but, but some external crisis that is, that is causing and, and forcing the, the, the people of God, the author, to express some spiritual crisis, moments of despair, moments of discouragement, even moments of hopelessness and moments of fear. And, and, it, and it causes the, the author to, to cry out and, to, and to, to look to God, to cry out to God in, in weeping and wailing, for not just for understanding, but to trust and, and ultimately call on God for, for deliverance. We, we have to settle, and maybe, maybe this is something that, that isn't necessary to say for some of you, but I think perhaps it is for, for others. But we have to realize that seasons of difficulty and seasons of hardship and suffering or, or going through a desert or going through a wilderness or finding yourself in a pit or facing a wall or whatever metaphor that you want to use to describe hardship, that's not a, an Old Testament-only reality. That's very much a this side of the cross reality that we face as followers of Jesus. It's a New Testament truth. Jesus says in John 16, in this world, you will have trouble. You will face difficulties. You will continue to experience difficulties. Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, these light and momentary troubles are preparing for us an eternal glory that far outweighs all the troubles and difficulties that we go through. When we, and we're going to talk about this in, in time to come, but when we, when, we, when we measure up the struggles that we face with the reality of eternity, they are, can, can be considered light and, and, and momentary troubles. Peter says in 1 Peter chapter 4, don't be surprised when, when life gets difficult, as if something strange has happened to you. And, and perhaps that most famous verse in, uh, about hardship and trial and difficulty is James chapter 1, consider it pure joy. Brothers and sisters, when you face trials and difficulties of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance, and perseverance must complete its work so that you can be mature and complete, not lacking anything. You don't consider it pure joy because you're going through hard times. You consider it pure joy because you know that the testing of your faith will develop ultimately maturity. That's why we can consider it pure joy. So suffering and hardship and difficulty is a reality. 
And sometimes deliverance comes. Psalm 54, don't turn there, but Psalm 54, deliverance comes to to David. He starts out in Psalm 54, save me, O Lord. And literally a few verses later, he, he, he proclaims, you have delivered me from all my troubles and my eyes have looked in triumph on my foes. But sometimes deliverance doesn't come. Sometimes we we look back and we don't see the answer that we were trusting for, or not yet. And and that's the case in the psalm that we're looking at today, Psalm 130. David says, he says, wait for the Lord. Put your hope in the Lord, because why he will redeem Israel from all of their sins. And, And that mirrors life too, doesn't it? That mirrors our experience, I'm sure, doesn't it? Sometimes we, can, we, we, we go through those moments of difficulty or those days or, or weeks or months or even years of hardship and, and we, we find breakthrough, we, we, we come out the other end and we, we look back on the experience and we can see the hand of God and how He has worked and how He has used those circumstances for His glory and for our benefit. We can sometimes see that, but sometimes we can't. Sometimes we, we look back on those moments or those days or weeks or, or at times months and years and, and we, 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 we're left with questions. We, we acknowledge that it's tough. We acknowledge that it's painful, but we, we continue to trust God, but we acknowledge that, that we don't have all the answers and we don't have an understanding of everything. And it's in those times that we must be so careful not to rush in and try to answer those questions that we don't have answers to. Because sometimes what ends up happening is we come up with, with truths that aren't really true. Just because it, there's a sense of security that we feel that we've got some explanation. We like to know exactly where God is going, what exactly God is doing, the exact route of how we will get there and exactly when we will arrive. And that's why, friends, sometimes the uncertainty of unanswered questions is so difficult for us. Because we are people, if you're anything like me, you love to be in control. You love to have your hands around things and and to know that you can control certain situations and circumstances, but life doesn't happen that way. And when we try to control things, we make the mistake of of thinking that the journey from the promise of God to the the fulfillment of the promise, the journey from, from the bud to the fruit, the journey from here to there, we we make the mistake of thinking that it's going to be a straight line the shortest possible distance between two points, and we make the mistake of thinking at least this time it's going to be without hardship and difficulty. But often when we look back, it looks more like this picture, doesn't it? That ends up being the the kind of reality of how we get from point A to point B, from here to there. Peter Scazzaro, in his book, Emotionally Healthy Spirituality, says one of the incredible uh, benefits of going through seasons of difficulty, of coming out the other side, is that we have a greater appreciation for holy unknowing, a greater appreciation for mystery, is essentially what he's saying. So these prayers of lament, these songs of sorrow, They give language to our heart's cry. I'm sorry. They give language to our heart's cry. And I think one of, the, one of the greatest benefits of going through difficult times. 
is they give us permission to be real. And I think that's something that, that some of us need to hear. Some of us need to hear it's okay. It's okay to be raw and real before God. We need to know that we have permission, that God is able to understand our, our anguish and our heart's cry. And so these, these psalms and these lament, these, these sad songs, and maybe I need to just bring a bit of levity to the situation, but as Elton, as Elton John says, these, <laughs> these sad songs, they say so much. They, they really do. Turn it on. Turn them on. Turn on those sad psalms. When all hope is gone, sad psalms, they say so much. That's what Elton John says. So the question we're looking at today is, is, is essentially what? what? What do we do with hardship and suffering? How do we navigate our way? What is our response to, to seasons of difficulty and seasons of hardship? I'm not focusing today. Please hear me. I'm not focusing on why. I'm not focusing on who. Why do we go through hard times? Who causes the hard times? Those are questions we're not discussing today. Those are theological, apologetics questions for, a, for another sermon, for another sermon series. Today, we're, we're asking how. how. How do we respond to difficulty? How do we respond to suffering? How do we respond to, to hard times? And Psalm 130, I think, gives us four expressions of our response. And before you burst out in, in laughter, yes, they all start with the letter W, which means they have to be true. But, but Psalm 130 invites us to four responses that we're going to look at today, weeping and, and worshiping and waiting and witnessing. Weeping and worshiping and waiting and witnessing. So let's unpack each of those. Psalm 130 and, and all of the other lament psalms. Firstly, they give us permission to weep. They give us permission to weep. Look at verse 1 and verse 2. Out of the depths, David writes, I cry to you, Lord. Lord, hear my voice. Let your ears be attentive to my cry for mercy. David is saying, Lord, I, I, I'm in the most desperate of situations. I'm in the middle of the desert. I'm, I'm in the middle of the wilderness. I'm, I'm deep in a pit. I'm, I'm, facing, uh, uh, the, uh, I'm face to face with a giant. And, and, and there it, it doesn't seem to be any way around. Uh, Lord, I don't know what else to do but to, to cry out to you. Lord, are you, are you there? Are you even listening, Lord, is essentially what David is saying. This is not some sanitized, neatly thought through, maybe even theologically correct prayer. This is a, this is a heart's cry. This is, this is wailing. This is loud crying. This is painful weeping. This is, this is messy emotions. There's something that perhaps one of the biggest lessons I learned through the journey of Hannah's uh, uh, almost death and recovery was, was understanding something I had never learned before when it comes to the, the, the word mourning. I, I've been through tragedy, I've been through difficult, but I learned something about mourning that I, that I never understood before. And this is essentially what I learned. When you, when you mourn, you feel deeply. And when you feel deeply, you need to talk and express freely. When you mourn, you, you feel deeply, and when you feel deeply, you need to have the freedom to, to talk and to express freely. And, and this is such a difficult concept, I think, for, for most of us who come from Western culture. 
we, we, we don't fully understand the depths of people's mourning. Think for a moment, if, if, if you struggle with expressing yourself like, like I typically do, think for a moment, cast your mind to a, a scene I'm sure you've seen on NBC News or CNN News, particularly focused in the Middle East, where, where this, this is written from, the culture is, is written from an, a Middle Eastern perspective. And, and think for a moment of the, of the scenes you've seen on CNN, where there's been a bomb blast or a tragedy that's happened, and and CNN will, will show footage of, of, of someone carrying a casket through a village. And, and not just the parents, not just the mother, but, but, but throngs of people, family and friends, gathering around the coffin. And they are wailing, and they are weeping, and there is loud sorrow and lament. They are feeling deeply, therefore they are expressing freely. And that's one thing I, I never understood, whether it was the scene playing out before me on CNN or whether it was a friend talking to me about the struggle that they were going through. I never understood the, the breadth or the messiness of their emotions because I never truly understood how deeply they were feeling. And can I just say as an aside, I've, I've never felt qualified or, or able to speak about the subject of race and injustice until I learned last year about mourning, because I've, I've realized that, that the subject of race and injustice is inseparable from the subject of mourning, that race and injustice can really only be understood if you understand the depth of feeling and therefore the need to express freely and to talk freely. And so in that regard, just since this is a season of firsts, I'm going to be sharing next April, uh, April 11th on a Thursday night of my journey, to, uh, my journey on the subject of race and injustice. It's going to be a Thursday night. You'll get information about that. As uncomfortable as feeling deeply and expressing emotions freely might make some of us feel, we need to realize that, that Jesus endorsed this kind of emotional expression. Jesus wept with Mary and Martha at his friend's graveside in John 11. Jesus was visibly upset and grieved at the thought of being betrayed in John 13. Jesus wept over Jerusalem because of their hard-heartedness. Jesus cried out in pain and wept in sorrow as he anticipated his own death. And, and the prophet Isaiah describes Jesus as a man familiar with sorrows and pain. And, and the point I'm trying to make in all of this is, is to, be, to be fully human means we need to be able to express sorrow and grieving and emotion. We need to be those who, who feel deeply and therefore express freely. And, and can I say, not just only the ability to express uh, deep sorrow with our own struggles, but the ability to express sorrow and, and feeling and, 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 and solidarity with those who are going through hard times and difficult times. We need to be able to weep and mourn with those who mourn in hardship and difficulty, and also laugh and rejoice with those who rejoice in victory and deliverance. We must be careful not to rush in and try to come up with answers or, or questions or advice or even our own opinion as to why things are happening, which as Americans, and I count myself as one, we love to do so often. Just as an aside, I'm reading this, um, this book about Abraham Lincoln, Team of Rivals. It's an outstanding book. And, uh, and the author quotes this French politician who in the early 1800s arrived uh, here, uh, here in the States and 
uh, this French politician makes this comment about the American culture, and he he says this. He says, uh, uh, to meddle in the government of society and to speak about what is... And Sorry, let me say that again. To meddle in the government of society and to speak about it is the greatest pleasure an American knows. I love that. And then he goes on to say, an American always speaks to you as if to an assembly. Essentially, what, what, what this French politician is saying is, Americans have strong opinions. And we do. And that's a good thing. But can I say, sometimes when it comes to hardship and trial and difficulty... Sometimes those opinions need to be pulled back a little. Sometimes those opinions don't need to be so absolute. And it doesn't help that we live in a social media culture which demands a quick response and an absolute statement to seasons and times of difficulty. Can I suggest that before we shoot off a response on Instagram or Facebook, we do what verse 1 says? We say, out of the depths, Lord, I cry to you. And find his response first before we shoot off a text or an email. I've longed to be part of a church that will pray with faith and fervor and contend with courage and conviction for God's miraculous power to break in in every and any situation, no matter how overwhelming or impossible it seems. And I long to be a part of a church at the same time where there is safety to feel deeply and to express freely. Because so often in churches, those two responses seem contradictory to a season of crisis rather than complementary, which I think is true in the kingdom of God. And can I say, this is that church. This is that church. I've experienced it. In February last year, when we didn't have the strength to contend for Hannah's healing, so many of you in this room contended on our behalf. You would not give up praying, and we saw miraculous breakthrough. And at times when it seemed like the journey was so long, you didn't come with opinions, but you came with weeping and with mourning alongside us. And when times were desperately despairing, you were, you were there for us. And when we were able to rejoice in miraculous healing, you were there for us. You've taught me that we are that church. We can be that church, and we are that church where we can both contend and comfort at the same time. And I want to say we need to continue with that. Psalm 23 talks about the reality of walking through the valley of the shadow of death. Not around, not skipping over, walking through it. And I want to exhort us to continue to do that with those who are struggling and going through hard times. How do we respond to suffering? The first thing is we have permission to weep. But with weeping, the second point, with weeping is is worshiping. The second point is the power of worship. Look at verse 3 and verse 4. If you, Lord, keep a record of sins, Lord, who could stand? But with you there is forgiveness so that we can with reverence serve you. And notice I said, with weeping comes worshiping. I'm not for a moment suggesting that these are stages that we walk through. These are, are checklists in a process to get to victory. It's not a case of, all right, you haven't allocated three days to weep. And then after your three days, come on, guys, let's move on to worship. No, this is, this is weeping with worship, and this is worshiping with weeping. Uh, my friend Terry Kruger, who some of you know, I, I remember 20 years ago, he, he, he led the church that we were a part of at the time, and 
I can't share, I can't share the, the, the depth of the, of the challenge that he faced, but, but as on a Sunday afternoon, just a few hours before Sunday evening service, he received some of the most gut-wrenching news you could ever receive. And, and this is one of those moments that are just kind of etched in my mind. I remember him arriving at church that night and putting his bag down and worship started and he got on his knees and tears were streaming down his face. All I could see were, were his shoulders just heaving as he was sobbing, but his hands were raised, worshiping God and worshiping Jesus for his goodness, despite the struggle and hardship. And that's what I'm getting at in this idea of we weep while we worship, and we worship while we weep. I love what David actually is doing. What he is doing is he's remembering God's grace and mercy. Look at, look at those verses again. He says, if you, Lord, keep record of sins, who could stand? But with you there is forgiveness. He's, he's preaching the gospel to himself. He's reminding, he's, he's contending for breakthrough. He's essentially saying, Lord, this seems overwhelming. This situation seems impossible. I'm weeping and crying out to you, but I know that no matter how difficult the situation, nothing can drown out your grace and your mercy. Your grace, your mercy, your goodness is greater than anything I face. Essentially, what he's doing is he's reminding himself that if God were to treat him as he deserved, he would experience eternal separation from the Father. But because of His grace and mercy, He has brought Him close. And friends, can I say that's true for every one of us, no matter how difficult the, 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 the situation we face is because of the finished work of Jesus on the cross, nothing that we face can dilute the reality that we have closeness and intimacy with the Father through Jesus' love and grace. Nothing can dilute the reality of the goodness of God. How do we respond to suffering? With weeping, with worshiping, but also, number three, with the posture of waiting. Look at verse five and six. I wait for the Lord. My whole being waits, and, and in his word I, I put my hope. I wait for the Lord. More than watchmen wait for the morning. More than watchmen wait for the morning. And again, I want to stress this. This is not stage one, stage two, stage three. This is waiting while we worship and weep. This is weeping while we wait and worship and so on. I hope you see what I'm trying to say. These, these are interchangeable. These are, these are things that we do together. Going through seasons of struggle breaks that desperate, grasping, driving, fearful self-will that must produce, must make something happen, must get it done for God just in case He doesn't. It creates in us a deeper ability to trust in and wait on God. For me, this idea of waiting on God is best summarized in Psalm 46 where David says, Be still and know that I am God. Be still and know that I am God. In the midst of your struggle, in the midst of your hardship, you need to be still and know that He is God. That what the devil is saying about you and what people are spreading and saying to others about you, that is not the last word on the situation that you face. God's word is the last word on any and every situation that we face. I heard this quote, I don't know who, who said it first, but in the end, God is working all things for good. If it is not good, it's not the end. 
Isaiah 64 says this, Since ancient times, no one has heard, no ear has perceived, no eye has seen any God beside you who acts on behalf of those who wait for him. R.T. Kendall says this, While we work, God waits. But while we wait, God works. While we work, God waits. But while we wait, God works. And how are we called to wait? Well, David tells us we are to wait by putting our hope in God's word, whether it's tomorrow or whether it's next week or whether it's next month or next year, because we put our hope in God's word and the reality that he is faithful, we are going to stand on that word and say, God, we wait for you to bring breakthrough. And that gives us the confidence to, to do what the psalm says, to, to be like a watchman waiting for the morning. How does a watchman wait for the morning? It's not how we wait for a friend who is late for an appointment. If we've scheduled, if Mark and I have scheduled coffee and, and Mark's running 10 minutes late, I look at my watch and I think to myself, where is Mark? He's late. He's 10 minutes late. Maybe I should text him and see if he's coming. That's not how a watchman waits for the morning. A watchman is stationed on the city walls. And their job, without having a watch, without knowing the time the sun is coming, their job is to look at the horizon. They know the sun is coming. They're just not sure when. They know it's coming. There's a certainty that the sun will rise. They're just not sure when. And that's the invitation that, that God is giving us in order to, to wait when you mourn, you feel deeply. And because you feel deeply, you express freely. But when you feel deeply, also comes the need to cling to God more desperately. You feel deeply, you need to cling to God more desperately. We, we contend for deliverance in this church. I love the fact that we contend for breakthrough in this church. And there are myriad of testimonies across this room that I know where breakthrough has come. But can I say this? Don't for a moment think that God is only present in the breakthrough. God is just as present in the waiting and the contending. And that means every single one of us, no matter where you are on that spectrum of, of trial to breakthrough, no matter where you are on that spectrum, every one of us has a testimony. Your testimony is either, look at what God has done, he's brought me deliverance, or your testimony is, see that these light and momentary troubles are preparing for me a glory that far outweighs them all. Every single one of us, no matter where you are, whether you've seen breakthrough or not, you have a testimony, which brings me to my last point. The permission to weep, the power of worship, the posture of waiting culminates in the privilege of witness. The privilege of witness. Look at verse 7 and 8. Israel, put your hope in the Lord. For with the Lord is unfailing love. And with him is full redemption. Redemption. He himself will redeem Israel from all their sins. What is David saying? David is saying, look at the character of my God. Look at the character of my God. Despite what I'm going through, I know that God's love is unfailing. And despite what I'm going through, whether I see deliverance now or whether I see deliverance only in the next age to come, I know that my God will redeem all situations. And I want to say, friends, I want to say this. Don't be fooled in thinking that your testimony is only valid when breakthrough comes. Don't be fooled in thinking that your testimony is only powerful when breakthrough comes. 
Because in the midst of weeping, and through the power of worship, and because of the posture of waiting, you are witnessing to those around you. Have you put your hope in God? Have you put your hope in God? Some of you here who are going through the the darkest and most difficult times of your life, maybe some of you here are not going through dark and difficult times, but you are facing difficulties and challenges nonetheless. And I ask you this question as one who, who has gone through and I know will go through difficult times again. Have you put your hope in God? Or is there a sense of being frantic, maybe taking matters in your own hand? I, I distinctly remember last year, kind of 12 or 14 days into, into the journey that we were on as a family, and I found myself asking this question, what if? You see, asking the question, what if, will lead to a frantic response. Asking the question of what if will, will, will force you to try and take matters into your own hand. What if looking forward, what if God doesn't come through? Or what if looking backwards, what if God hadn't come through? Both of those can, can cause us to take matters in our own hand. And the question that I, I was encouraged by God to ask is not what if, but Father, what next? What next? What next do you want me to do? How do I, how, how do I, do, uh, what is that thing that you're wanting me to do? Because, because right here, right now is God's available present, uh, available presence right here in the, in the present. Not wondering what could have happened, not wondering what might happen, but knowing God's presence is available right here and right now. Have you put your hope in God? Maybe I can ask you that today. Have you put your hope in God if you are not a follower of Jesus and you don't know God personally as your Lord and Savior? And I've spoken about a a range of things, of of the the reality of difficulty and hardship, but in the very essence of this message is the, the fact that God alone is the one who can forgive us our sins. It's not through correct behavior or being part of a church or or, or doing the right things that enable us to have relationship with God, but it is simply trusting in the fact that Jesus has paid the price for us. Have you put your hope in God? And if not, today, I want to invite you today, let today be the day of salvation. Let today be the day where you say, Lord, I take the, the, the trust that I have in myself and my own ability and I surrender that to you knowing, Jesus, that you have paid the price. As you think about that, have you put your hope in God? I want to invite the worship team, if you wouldn't mind coming up. We want to end this morning by just going back into a time of worship. Just one song. We've spoken about weeping. We've spoken about weeping and worshiping. We've spoken about weeping and worshiping and waiting. And as we weep and worship and wait, we are witnessing to the world around us. But I think we'd be amiss if we didn't take some time to do exactly that, to to worship God. Maybe this message is a message that some of you will take, and this is not wrong, and to put it in your back pocket, because it's not something that applies to you right now. But I trust that you will do that. Maybe this message is a message for some of you who will take it and you will think to yourself, all right, I can apply this to a a person that I know is going through a hard time. I can learn to weep as they weep and to celebrate as they celebrate. 
But maybe for some of you, this is a message that applies to you right here and right now. Maybe this is a message where you need to hear you have permission to weep. You have permission to, to, to struggle with unanswered questions. You have permission to, in the midst of weeping, to also look to the Lord and say, God, I don't understand this, but I refuse to allow this situation to dilute the grace and goodness and love and mercy that I know are found in your presence. And that's what I would love us to do this morning. No matter where you are on that spectrum, no matter whether you are in a situation of difficulty or whether you can look back and see the goodness of God having delivered you from this, I want us to stand this morning and to just be able to worship God from the depths of our heart as we are saying, Lord, this is all I have to give you. This life, this is all I have. Questions and all. I give it to you. So let's stand this morning and let's go back into a time of worship and then we'll navigate a response from there after the sermon. Thanks again for listening. To stay up to date, follow at Anthem Church Chicago and visit us anthemforall.org. Anthem Church, all of Jesus for everyone.